Welcome to Mock 10 Sports. This August 14th, 2023 episode. Appreciate you joining us on the show today. Heading into week three of fall camp. Heading into week three of fall camp. I mean, your, your team has a vibe. Your coaches on your staff have a vibe of where their kind of their team is. But I'm on the phone uh, talking to some people across the league. They they all have a feel. I mean, obviously the coaches are going to get a little coach speak um, on how they truly feel heading in to week three. But they may state certain things publicly, but they know exactly how they feel about their team right now. Uh, this is that time of year. I mean, if you're if you like some freshmen, like Aiden Williams sticking out for Ole Miss, they're getting him solid reps of number one just to really see what they have. Now, I feel like they know what they have with him. That's just an example. But if you feel like you have some freshmen be able to contribute, this is the opportunity to get them in. You're starting to cut that guys who are going to be on the scout team during the season, guys who are going to be on that second team, um, on special teams, the hands team, kick return, kickoff. You're really filling out the special teams, your overall depth. It's getting – we're about a week away at least for – yeah, at least for Vanderbilt. Kicking us off here uh, less than two weeks away. You got one more Saturday to get through before you get some SEC football. Two more until we get to week one. But Vanderbilt will be right – Clark Lee and the boys will be right in the middle of about – probably next Saturday. Saturday evening they'll be doing their mock scrimmage, mock game. If you don't know what that is, every team usually uh week before, usually around the same time their game kicks off, will do a kind of a mock game kind of walk through dress rehearsal, I guess you would say. I mean, your game's kicking off at 6 o'clock. Most teams go out there and do – they're calling, hey, hands team on special teams, hey, kickoff, just making sure everybody I – mean, you played high school football. It's really not that dissimilar than that. They People are coming out. They're calling out the depth chart. Hey, first team, first team. All right, well, 12 personnel, 12 personnel, whatever formation group it is. They're calling in, making sure we're on the same page. Get the lights, the setting of, hey, this is what's going to be. If it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, guys, this is what's going to feel like a week from today. Guys, mid-afternoon kickoff, 2.30, 3 o'clock. Yeah, it's going to be a little more steamier. It's September. Then night, yeah, it's still going to be a little humid. Lights are going to maybe affect. Talk to the kick returner, pump returner. Hey, the lights will be in your eyes. we got to get adjusted. we got to get those jug machines equipment staff just so we can get adjustment for our our punt return guy to catch some balls with the lights. It's not always getting worked through fall camp. A lot of teams practice in the morning. But – we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We're getting close. One more Saturday until SEC football. Uh, but I was at the Personnel Symposium in Nashville this past weekend. I'm going to get into that. A lot of talented people who work in your favorite team's recruiting department. You'll never really know who these people are. Uh, but they're gatekeepers to a lot of information uh, within the organizations of your favorite team. They know a ton of information. They see the whole organization from the bottom up. They deal with – I mean, if you're the director of player personnel, GM, whatever, maybe – I mean – you almost have a position group yourself. You're managing 11 full-time coaches for the most part, just depending on how your uh, staff for recruiting split up. You have some guys over offensive defense, and the head guys usually over with the head coach. But overall, you have 11 guys, almost like you're a receiver coach a little bit. It's a lot to manage. A lot of great information went through. So the people who organized it did a fantastic job. I'll discuss some of the topics briefly that were talked about in Nashville. We'll also go over a little SEC East and a little SEC West camp until remember the last Thursday did the full SEC West. But we had some stuff shape out specifically with Alabama, Auburn, a uh, little bit of LSU. But we're going to definitely run down the SEC East. Then I'm going to go over a game on every SEC team schedule that may not have concerned you or the majority of people back at the beginning of the year. But it's a little bit more concerning as we're three weeks into fall camp. 
We have more information at our fingertips. That's what always gets me with preseason predictions. People hold it against people. You're just going with the information, reviewing the film from last year, reviewing the film from the, especially in the transfer portal era where these guys are coming and you're evaluating their film from another team that they may not even be used the same way this upcoming year with their new club. Uh, you're also having to take into account, I was just on the phone with a guy at another school. It's tough to predict end of the season, end of the season games, because just using Ole Miss as an example this year, their first two conference games are at Alabama and LSU at home. They start 0-2. They brought in a bunch of transfers, not even attacking their transfer thing. They start off 0-2. They're essentially kind of out of the SEC West race, not mathematically. Obviously, you still got SEC. You got still got six SEC games left. But what's kind of the mentality, the morale of that team? If they start off zero and two when you don't really have guys that are really bought into the university or program, just more of an individualistic society now. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just calling a spade a spade here. It's into that, so it's tougher to predict with injuries, depth, and just how bought in some of these guys are. Do they start looking like, hey, well, what's my next move now that we're out of a championship race? So that, that's interesting. We'll talk. We'll get into that. Uh, some games, like I said, you may be a little – you thought back in January or April, yeah, that's probably a win for Tennessee. But now you're getting a little closer. You know some things, some depth issues. Man, maybe that early game in the season on the road, that could be a little tougher. It could be a knockout drag out. I don't think they're just going to – Go down there and beat these guys 38-14. Let's call it a wrap. Let's get on the bus. Let's fly back home, boys. Stuff like that. We'll discuss about that. Then the AP poll came out today. I'm just going to go over that really briefly. I don't really get into that. Honestly, wish the polls would come out in the middle of the season after some guys, after some teams put some uh, wins together and actually we get to see from this year. It's just kind of a talking season point, but we'll get through it. And actually, we're on it right now. let's, Let's knock out the AP poll just real quick. Uh, for those who don't know, leading off, real shocker here, Georgia comes in at preseason number one. Uh, then Alabama coming in at preseason number four. Uh, and then number five, you got LSU coming in at preseason number five. Let me make sure I'm on this one. Hold on. Yeah, so we got Georgia preseason one, Bama four, LSU five, You got Tennessee sitting at preseason 12. You got Ole Miss coming in at 22 and Texas A&M coming in at 23. So you got five SEC teams. Let me make sure. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six. So remember, Georgia preseason one, Bama four, LSU five, Tennessee 12, Ole Miss 22nd, A&M 23rd, I mean, some other teams receiving votes out of the league at South Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, Auburn, Mississippi State, Florida, kind of team, kind of teams like that. When I'm just looking at it right now, so just kind of going through that, we're not going to get into the weeds of that again. I am all for, I really am. I am all for all these teams. Just kind of, we're having a poll at the end of the year. I mean, really, I, or sorry, towards the middle of the year. Like they do the college football playoff poll. It's really what I want. I don't get into the coaches' poll because that's really the SIDs poll. We talked about that previous in ep, uh, previous episodes. Associated Press AP poll. Don't really get caught up into it. But six SEC teams in. There was a surprise that I think is a little too high. It's probably Ole Miss. And AM's and probably a little too low. Yeah, but I felt the same way about the coaches' poll. So she wanted to briefly address it. We're not going to get into the weeds of that. But – Let's get let, let's get into the personnel symposium. Like I mentioned, went for work, uh, vendor malware for Quick U, uh, went over with my boss Tyler Siski. We were in Nashville, fourth year they did it. They did it in 2018 was the first year, 19, then obviously COVID in 20, 
And in 21, they didn't do it in last year. So this is the fourth year, fourth year here in 2023. All the personnel recruiting on campus people, it's a ton of people, man. There's maybe 100 people there the first year. They have over 500 attendees this year, a ton of vendors, sponsors. Just a lot of good ideas here. I didn't sit in on everything. I didn't have time to. But from what talking to people that did sit on these roundtables, these panels, um, a lot of good ideas shared between some of the brightest people in the world. I mean, if you're smart, I mean, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning, a lot of gatekeepers that that kind of see a lot of information, retain a lot of information for your favorite team from top to bottom. You don't really know any of these, most of these people's names. You really don't. You may know a handful of them, but these are very important people the day to day that work their tails off 365 days a year not compensated the same way these coaches are. I used to be a personnel director. I worked nine years going back as a student in Alabama all the way through when I ended up um, at UCF. Remember I told you I worked at four different SEC schools, um, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn, schools like that. So really what it is, the personnel, director of player personnel, guys like that on campus, uh, people just get together once a year, share ideas. But the problem is, if the NCAA was smart, they would send someone over. I don't know if anybody from the personnel symposium who put it together reached out to them. I don't know that. I'm just saying. But there's a lot of good ideas going in there that a lot of the that an NCAA representative would need to hear. Like the photo shoots. I heard that was a big deal. People are tired of doing them. Feel like they're kind of a waste of time. Very tedious. But somebody is going to have to listen to that. Who can change that rule? Nobody there can really go change or implement a new rule. Um, also kind of talking about NIL stuff, um, that was brought up. Shannon Terry talked, we're not going to get in the weeds of that. A lot of scouting stuff. I mean, if you're really big into personnel and you want to get in cracking the co- in college football, even if you're a student intern that listens to the show, I would highly advise you, you get, you get what you put into it. There's so much set up for success there. If you want to go network, meet a lot of people, you can do that. If you want to go get a lot of scouting tips, uh, some on-campus, um, tidbits, that's great too. Um, in general, I mean, it's really it's a it's a great event. Again, they just put on for the fourth year. Uh, really, photo shoots. Just talked about um, a lot of different scouting ways teams are doing it. You've probably seen articles about Texas Tech. I know they're not in the SEC, but bring up big into track and field. You, you'd be amazing. All the ins and outs of people do to try to have get a leg up from a scouting standpoint, how teams are handling the transfer portal. It's just a lot of good conversation. Again, I just want to mention it because I was there this past weekend um, with a lot of the brightest minds that really don't get the shout out that they need. I mean, they're kind of the heartbeat, not kind of, they are the heartbeat to the college football. Again, some of my people I used to be, that's what I used to do. That's really what I used to do. Just um, really the coaches, the full-time coaches, staffs, athletic, athletics, but could not get it done without these people. Um, just the organization, they taking care of families, your favorite players, families, when they came on campus, a lot of these on campus people, recruiters, personnel, people were the first ones greeting them at the door, setting up, making sure their un- unofficial visits, their OVs were set up for success. The director of player personnel has managed the roster. You're all, now you're just always constantly managing the roster with the 85 rule. Who's gone? Who's leaving your roster? Who do we need to bring in to bring up the floor of our room? Just People who see it from the very top bottom. If you were smart, if you were a media person, if you were a fan, you would go follow these people. These people know a lot of information. I like to call them the gatekeepers. But again, just a great event. Uh, round of applause for the people who put it on. Uh, I'll be back next year. But just great insight from people who don't get enough credit that are there at the ground level that see the program for truly from like I keep saying the top to bottom. The head coach, he's just up there. He's just looking down. He doesn't see the whole day to day. A lot of them really don't. These people do. They deal with 
dang near everything. Sometimes don't get the respect they deserve, but just a great event overall in Nashville. Appreciate the invite. Appreciate it coming. Moving on. I know we're kind of getting a little tired, a little camp and tell, but we keep talking about it. We're going to go with the SEC. Starting off with Florida, Billy Napier announced Wisconsin transfer. Graham Mertz is the starting quarterback. Not a real surprise. He's battling out with Jack Miller. Uh, a little unfortunate news for the Gators. So Edge Justice Boone tore his ACL. Uh, he's going to be out for the rest of the year. That's a big loss there. Uh, Florida starting 22, I think, is going to be fine. It's going to be depth, young depth. That When these guys are going to be inevitably asked upon by Austin Armstrong or Billy Napier himself, talking about Austin Armstrong, the new defensive coordinator coming over from Southern Miss, those guys are going to have to be ready to take that next level and play. That's, that's what Florida needs to be doing, getting that top 40 ready, because inevitably injuries are going to happen. Depth is going to be key. Florida's depth is talented, but it is young. But the big takeaways from this past weekend from Florida since the last show, Graham Mertz officially named starting quarterback. He'll be getting first snaps as the Gators head to that Thursday night showdown a week one in Salt Lake City against Utah. And one of their better defensive players, Justice Boone, unfortunately out for the season. Heading to Athens, the back-to-back -back national champs, the fitting national champs. Kirby Smart came out, you could tell, not real fired up about the quarterback room right now. I think he trusted, but he wishes they were further along than what they are right now. Also, blame a little bit of wide receivers. It's, it's funny. We'll get into it. But Georgia with Kirby Smart, Auburn with Hugh Freeze, and Alabama with Nick Saban all kind of said the same things about their receivers after the scrimmage. A lot of drops, humidity, sweaty palms, whatever it may be. The wide receivers were not helping the quarterbacks. Kirby mentioned the job has not been won yet at the quarterback position, but I would be shocked if Carson Beck ultimately does not end up running out there with the ones and starting that game against UT Martin. I think he's going to have a big year. I think Kirby thought he would be a little bit further along. Uh, but he's he's unfortunately not right now. I think the running back room this year is going to be solid, but it's not. There's not going to be a dude in it this year. I think Kendall Milton's going to be okay. Juan Edwards could be fine. Branton Robinson could be fine. Andrew Paul needs to be a by committee approach. Um, but again, if you're Georgia, your worst situation is we don't really have a dude at running back. They'll probably be able to figure it out by times in, by that Tennessee game rolls around because I think it's going to be the first time they're going to be really challenged. Um, but, again, running back room, you're talking to people there, they're not overly fired up about that room. They think it's more committee. They don't really have that dude that they're used to, that Del McGee, that running back room is used to having. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, talking to people, I, I think Georgia, Georgia again, not going to have a dude this year, but a solid room. The floor is going to be higher than I think that running back room. I do think it's going to be a great overall unit, though. I think it's going to be a great overall unit. Guys like Zion Logue, Nazir Stackhouse, Warren Brinson, and hold up the true freshman, Jordan Hall from Jacksonville, Florida. I think he's going to be a name to keep an eye on. I, I actually like Georgia's defensive line right now. Across the country, you probably don't recognize a lot of these names. Obviously, Zion Logan, Nazir Sackles. There's no Jalen Carter. There could turn out to be one, but right now there's not. But I like the group from top to bottom. But Athens, quarterback play not coming along as probably fast as they need. But, again, with the schedule, they can ease that in. Running back room, room by committee, they're not going to really have a dude. I like the defensive line group as a unit. By the end of the year, they could just be absolute terrors that's what's going on in athens after the first weekend of the scrimmage heading to knoxville talking to some guys there again i know a lot of these people in the recruiting department there throughout the sec talked to them this past weekend in nashville again these personnel people are great sources of intern they see for thirty-five thousand foot view the entire organization i'm telling you tennessee likes their team a lot i keep mentioning 32 seniors they feel real comfortable very blunt statement here but if tennessee stays remotely healthy i think they win nine plus games Cooper Mays, again, he has some procedure. Uh, Hypo claims it was just some simple procedure. He should be back against Virginia. Um, 
But everybody I asked, two guys I trust from Tennessee that were there this past weekend, kept saying, it's just going to come down to Joe. And Joe Milton, quarterback, remember, transferred from Michigan, lost it in 21, started that job to Hendon Hooker, came in, played well against Vanderbilt at the end of the year after Hooker tore his ACL, and then played well against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. So can Joe consistently do it for 12 games? That's going to that's gonna be the big question. Um, but Tennessee feels good. I mean, even their secondary got torched last year at times. Got a lot of guys back there, Danico Slaughter, that are a lot of guys that are veteran guys. I don't know about a lot of NFL guys, but a lot of guys that have played a, that have gotten a lot of reps at the SEC level. Danico Slaughter, Kamal Hayden, guys like that. They have some guys, again, 32 seniors is a lot. It's a lot of guys that have played SEC football. But it really is going to come down to Joe Milton. Like that sounds simple. It's the most important position in all sports, the quarterback position. But Joe Milton's going to be the key. I mean, if he comes in and does performs up to the level that he did against Clemson that a lot of Tennessee fans expect. I mean, 10 wins, very realistic for the Volunteers this year. But it's going to come down to Joe. But, again, Cooper May should be back. Veteran squad. Tennessee feels real comfortable. I just Comfortability, comfortable is the word that kind of comes to mind when talking to Tennessee people. It's kind of like, yeah, we should be good. They're a little bit more worried about 24, which a little bit surprised me, than they are this year. Uh, moving to Columbia, South Carolina, Juice Wells out. For how long? Question mark. Will he play against North Carolina in Charlotte week one? I don't know that answer. But I'm hearing some guys stepping up, Murray and Brown, Xavier Leggett, guys like that from talking to some guys over there. Also, flipping to the other side of the football, they're liking the secondary a little more now. Marcellus Dial apparently improved significantly this offseason. He should step up helping the young guys at the safety position unit that are going to be solid. Gamecocks, like I said, like their secondary. It's a young unit. Depth is going to be key for them. Uh, I think they're an injury or two away from being um, in trouble in trouble from a depth standpoint. Spencer Rattler, apparently him and Dow Loggins' relationship, the offense, I think Spencer Rattler, he's ready to take that next step. It's uh, some guys I talked to over there in South Carolina, they keep on consistently saying that. So I'm like, all right, Spencer Rattler, maybe is it the guy you're going to consistently see you saw at the end of the year against Tennessee, Clemson, and even Notre Dame to an extent. Is he going to be that same guy? I think they're more worried about their trenches, the trenches on both sides of the line of scrimmage, like I keep saying. Um, to carry on Joiner, I think, could be serviceable at running back, but it's just overall depth. They just – They've missed on a bunch of running backs. They haven't really gone and signed a guy that's a dude, like Montario Hardesty, the running backs coach at South Carolina, former player at Tennessee, hasn't really went out and signed a real dude. Marshawn Lloyd transferred to USC. They're moving to carry on Joyner over there. Uh, Juju McDowell, not an every down guy, kind of mix it up guy. You need guys like that, but he shouldn't be your number two. He's more of a three guy. And then they took the guy, sorry, he's uh, Mario Anderson Jr., from Newberry College. You can win with a lot of running backs, but, man, they're really thin in the offensive line. It's not like they're going to just be creating 18-wheeler-sized uh, holes there for myself to run through. They need to go sign some running backs. That's big. They're concerned about that. I feel like they feel like they have not done a good job in that running back's room of replacing replacing what they have lost throughout the year since Shane Beamer has been there in the three classes he signed. So depth will be key from the Gamecocks. Uh, all is well over there, but they they do feel like they're a couple holes in the ship away from could be sinking a little earlier than they expect. So um, I know they're a little nervous about that opening game at North Carolina. We'll see. I, I probably like them a little more than they do themselves. Uh, but running back, the offensive line and running backs is still a scary, scary situation for them. Juice Wells, if he's out against North Carolina, that will hurt them. That will hurt them. Uh, moving over to Lexington, Kentucky, some more fall camp intel. Not a lot out there on the Cats. Even some of their insiders or guys 
who I trust over their sources, don't even know a lot. March Stoops keeping it close to the best. You do know Barry and Brown is out. Uh, one of their best receivers, one of the best could be, he's a part of one of the probably the best wide receiver unit Kentucky's ever had between Barry and Brown. Again, he's out with a soft tissue injury. He'll be fine. Tavion Robinson and Dane Key. But if there's two things that should excite you about that I've picked up on, as if you're a Kentucky fan, this should excite you. I think Devin Leary is going to be that guy. Devin Leary is going to be that guy at quarterback. And I think the offensive line has improved. And I think a lot of that credit is going to go to Liam Cohen due to the change of scheme. Nothing against former OC Rich Gangarello, but Liam Cohen's back for his second gig at South Carolina, or sorry, at, at Kentucky after uh, going to the NFL with the Rams last year. I think it, all, it wasn't really the personnel, I think, last year. To an extent, they've had better personnel at Kentucky in the offensive line than they did in 22. But this year, I think it, it was a, it's a scheme change. I think that's going to be the big benefit for the Cats this year. I'm feeling it. Kentucky's quietly confident. I like Devin Leary, and I like, from what I'm hearing, I like with the offensive line, line's improvement. So that's it. That's all I got from Lexington. Not just going to make stuff up. There's just not a lot out there, but I can tell. They like that. Just Barry and Brown needs to be living in that training room, getting that soft tissue injury uh, going. And, again, this, this is that time of year in camp. Guys should be living, if they're not on the practice field or during their lift session with the strength conditioning coaches, they need to be in the training room getting that treatment. All these staffs, especially in the SEC, have massive training room uh, personnel between students that – Four full-time people. This is time they're, they're you're getting ready for that first those first four weeks right now by taking care of your body. That's key. That's key. Um, Missouri moving to Como. Big commit today for the for the Missouri Tigers. Live Drakewoods and the boys just always keeping the in-state town in the new rule they just passed from an NIL standpoint. That's gonna, always going to help for Missouri. But for the 2023 fall camp right now, I like the competition that I'm hearing out of Missouri. Both lines of scrimmage I think are going to be good enough for the Tigers to be successful this season. Like we say every episode, though, it's going to come down to quarterback play. And can they consistently make the throws that the defenses give them? It's going to be between Brady Cook, Sam Horn, and Jake Garcia, the Miami transfer. They're all still battling it out, according to Eli Drinkwitz. I lean Brady Cook getting the start, but it would not shock me at some point if Sam Horn gets the nod middle of the season. It sounds like Brady Cook has the team right now. He's been there longer. Sam Horn, I think, has probably had some better highs, the higher ceiling, but I don't think he has the team. I always bring it up. Nick Saban always talks about when he's going through a quarterback uh, competition. He hadn't had a ton in his career, but when he has, he's always waited who is winning the team, who does the locker room kind of gravitate towards. And that's key. Right now it sounds like Brady Cook from talking to people over there. But, again, would not shock people. Brady Cook's not getting it done if Sam Horn ultimately takes it on. Not a lot of talk about Grant Jake Garcia, so I think it's between Brady Cook and Sam Horn. But, again, if they can get that quarterback situation figured out, because I think they're going to be good on defense, a lot of guys back – they, they, they like their offensive line. You don't hear a lot of people talk about that with their depth. You know they got receivers, Mookie Cooper, Luther Burden, Theo Weiss coming over from Oklahoma. I like the running backs. Missouri can get the quarterback position figured out. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And what I mean fine, they're not going to compete for the Eastern Georgia. They're going to go win seven, eight games. Seven, eight games if you're a fan of Missouri. You should be fired up. But it's going to come down to Eli Drinkwitz's baby. And, again, he's not calling the plays. New OC coming over from Fresno State. Kirby Moore's calling it. But Eli Drinkwitz is an offensive guy. He's hadn't figured out the quarterback position. This is his fourth year. It'll be that's on him. If you can't get a quarterback in year four when you got everything else not figured out, but you feel pretty good and it's all winnable surrounding the quarterback, and that's the only position you can't get figured out. But again, it's the most important. They're going to hold that against Eli Drinkwitz at the end of the year. So he's got to get that right. And then Vanderbilt scrimmage for the second time yesterday as I was leaving the city. Defense was awful in the first scrimmage, like we talked about. 
Clark Lee, though, seemed pleased with the defense's improvements from yesterday's scrimmage. Still don't know how confident I am in this group overall. I uh, said the offense still got the best of the defense. So it's saying a whole lot how much further ahead the offense is. And that was without their better players outside. As we all know, Will Shepard, weapon on the outside. Same with Quincy Skinner Jr. Those two did not participate, and it still seemed like the offense um, got the best of the defense. Clark Lee said something. I remember I don't have the exact quote in front of me. They challenged a lot more balls this uh, downfield, this scrimmage, but still the offense made some catches. I'm really worried about that secondary, really worried about that secondary. But offensively, it looked like A.J. Swan and Ken Sills both were fine at the quarterback position. I still think Vandy's going to give up a lot of explosive plays this year in the secondary. At first scrimmage, it seemed like a lot of guys were walking, just running wide open. They just they can't knock them off um, the platform at the line of scrimmage. They can't get their hands. They impress man. They can't get their hands on the wide receivers. They're getting under them, having 10 yards head start against them. Secondary just it's going to be a weak spot for Vandy that they are going to have to shore up. I, I can't tell you how. I, I'm not entrenched completely with their roster. But man, it, it just – I, could, I think you could see a lot of uh, – go back and watch the Ole Miss game from last year, Jonathan Mingo, what he did to him. I think you could see a lot of that. It could be eerily similar to that. But speaking er- to him, eerily similar, I said I mentioned earlier, all three of Georgia's, Alabama, and Auburn scrimmages to an extent were the same. I mean, Alabama, quarterback play from scrimmage one. I'm about to go over it right now. Milrow is the guy right now. Jalen Milrow is the guy right now that may upset some Alabama people. More familiar with working with the ones. You got to think he was repping with the ones all spring and fall. Simpson just doesn't have a lot of, just doesn't take a lot of risk. Not a big risk factor guy. Uh, he's not produced the explosive plays that Milrow has from talking to people in the passing game. And also, a lot of this is when Jalen Milrow can't even use his strength, which is his legs, which is his legs. So, I mean, when you factor that in, that could help as well. Buckner, just too new right now. I don't think he's really going to be in the mix unless stuff's going wrong in the middle of the year. Nick Saban mentioned it. Wide receivers had a rough day. A lot of drops, very similar to Auburn and Georgia's scrimmage as well. But I do think the running game. I like the running back depth. I've mentioned it before. Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams. I think Justice Haynes is going to be a dude. Jam Miller, if he can get healthy. I think Jace McClellan's going to take that next step this year. The running game should allow the quarterbacks to get comfortable. I think teams are going to kind of initially kind of load the box, stop the run, and dare the quarterbacks to be able to make positions. I do think Jalen Milrow becomes more of a threat uh, and can help Alabama with his legs in the read option game, RPOs a little bit mixed in there with Tommy Reese from a standpoint of also some play action with some tight ends out in the flats. I think they're going to use those guys a lot. They're going to use those guys a lot. So sounds like Jalen Milrow's in the lead right now. I know a lot of people, Alabama fans, it's kind of the classic, the backup quarterback. We all, we always wanted to go with the guy we haven't seen play. It's always like the most favorite guy, the favorite guy on the team every year is the backup quarterback for people. It's like you saw Jalen Milrow against Texas A&M and a little bit against Arkansas. Wasn't overly impressive, but I'm not one of those just complete Bill O'Brien bashers. I think he did this kid a total disservice in that Texas A&M game last year, Jalen Milrow. He called the game like Bryce Young was still the quarterback. You got to tweak the system a little bit, and that's Bill O'Brien's NFL mindset. It's Bill O'Brien's NFL mindset. Not necessarily wrong, but you have to play to your player, to your quarterback strengths that's what it was at the time I know you can't go implement a whole new system in a week but again I think he did him a disservice I don't think Tommy Reese and Nick Saban especially if they know he's going to be the starter going into the year they're wanting to run the ball more throw to tight ends they're going to set him up for more success so I don't think it's all bad if anything Jalen Milrow has improved he's improved I'm not going to go say he's winning the Heisman this year Shouldn't all be bad just because Jalen Milrow is winning this game. Also, he's won the team. I remember in the summer you saw him take 
Uh, I think it was to Tampa. He took some of the receivers down there to go work one-on-one um, in, in the Tampa area, go get some workouts, but also get a little vacation in. Just college kids being college kids. But at the end of the day, like Nick Saban says, if you have the team, that is a big deal. Yeah, that That is a very big deal. That's why Blake Sims won the job in 2014. Went into that last scrimmage. He ultimately won it, though. But looks like Jalen Milrow right now is probably going to be the dude rolling out there against Middle Tennessee State week one. Take that for what it is. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing right now. I don't, I'm don't. i a glass-half-full guy when it comes to that. Moving to Auburn, everyone freaking out a little bit about their quarterback play. Robbie Astrid, oh, is he going to win the job? What's that mean? Peyton Thorne, he's not the guy we thought he'd be coming from Michigan State. Peyton Thorne's going to win that job. Calm down, everybody. Freeze also mentioned the receivers didn't help out the quarterbacks. He wasn't overly concerned with the quarterbacks. He thought he kind of had an idea going into that scrimmage, and then he's like, I, I don't. I think he's saying that a little bit. I think Peyton Thorne is the guy. I think Peyton Thorne's going to be the guy. Uh, sounded like the offense for Auburn, when they went tempo, lit up the defense. When Hugh Freeze slowed it down, let the defense get lined up, the defense did settle in. So take that for what it is. I don't know if that's really a good thing or a bad thing. I, didn't, I can't really get a vibe that obviously don't. I don't have the film, but it sounds like tempo could be trouble for Auburn on all on defense this year. It also sounds like their offense could cause some issues with their tempo. So take that for what it is. But they're wide receivers. The transfers they all brought in uh, sounds like they they had some drops as well. So it's interesting. All three uh, coaches between Nick Saban, Hugh Freeze, and Kirby Smart didn't all didn't put the entire blame on the quarterbacks. They mentioned, hey, our receivers didn't help them. I don't know if it was the humidity, our hands were sticky, sweaty, whatever it may be. They just didn't get it done. Um, but it's just kind of some fall camp tips, like I mentioned. Uh, from an LSU standpoint, not a lot from them either. They, they sound like they've gotten out of fall camp with the least amount of injuries. I'll say that. Everybody else seems like they got some nitpicky injuries. AM, I'm hearing, I mean, you saw Donovan Johnson, he's out for the year. They're tight end, one of their better tight ends. He got Bryce Foster, a little beat up. A&M's got nitpicky injuries, not season-ending injuries. Now, Donovan Johnson's is tight end. He's out for the year. But we're talking to some people there. They got some nitpicky injuries that could add up, that could add up. So take that in. I think LSU has gotten out of fall. We're not done with fall camp yet. we got about another week, but another week and a half. But right now, LSU, from an injury standpoint, has probably been in, in a better situation than everybody else. Haven't heard a lot about Alabama outside of Jam Miller, really, off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of anybody else from an injury standpoint. So Alabama and LSU, I should say, probably have done a good job of um, staying relatively healthy. I'm sure they got some soft tissue injuries nobody talks about. Now, let me tell you, when you're going through fall camp and you get an injury report, we're going over staff meetings. Most staff meetings, every when once fall camp starts, going through the season, every staff meeting for every staff I've ever been on, a tra- uh, the head trainer will come in and pass out an injury report to everybody that needs it. I usually got one because I was head of the department from personnel, so I didn't know I needed to know who was hurt. But you would see all these soft tissue injuries, and he was getting treatment. And again, they were going to play that week, but just fans and the media just didn't know about. So I'm sure a lot of these teams as well have a lot of soft tissue injuries, whether it's plantar fasciitis, uh, quad contusion, uh, tight hamstring. We're going to hold him out today. Let's get him to game day. Those are quotes that I continue to hear in my sleep that you hear coaches say all the time. Hey, let's give him a break this week. He doesn't need to play special teams. We just need to get him to game day. We're two weeks out. Let's don't do something stupid. Always, I understood that at this point. Let's get maintenance on our bodies. And you're going to hear coaches at the end of practice always, hey, guys, go take care of your bodies. Go get in the hot tub, cold tub. Hot, the cold tub would be mandatory. They'd have a strength and conditioning intern out there taking role who was getting in the hot, the cold, the cold tubs. Make sure you're taking care of your body, getting in with the trainers. The best take care of their bodies. It's not just about the 
the film room, which is very important from a cerebral standpoint. It's not also just about living in the weight room, getting your body right, and also taking out to the practice field and you perform well. It's taking care of your body, being a pro, having that pro mindset. So again, I'm sure some of these injury, uh, these injury lists and these staff meetings are getting a little long, but it seems like everybody's kind of gotten out of there. A and the one from talking to people. It's kind of like, man, injury bug going to bite them, not from a long term standpoint, but from a um, just a little nitpicky injuries that can add up. It can add up. I hate that if that's going to be the case. But it sounds like Alabama and LSU are the ones who. Uh, They've kind of got at it a little bit. Georgia running back room, a little beat up too. So it's that time of year. Nicks and bruises. Like I always said, and like a lot of people said, you're never, you got to tell your players, you're never like players be like, ah, I got some bumps and bruises, especially the young guys. You're never going to be feel 100% after the first practice for the rest of the year. It's just impossible. You're to fight through it. The best ones fight through it. That's some camp intel as we're heading in. We're hitting the back stretch of it. But I was going through some schedules. Remember, Thursday, Thursday, all the SEC predictions. We're going to go SEC West, SEC East, SEC Champion, and college football playoff uh, predictions. Going to give you my top four teams. Even there are going to be some teams, obviously, that aren't in the SEC, but I'm going to give it to you like I did last year. But I was going through some schedules, obviously more intel. Um, and you always think you're looking at a schedule and you're back in January when you're when Georgia beat TCU last year, I started looking at schedules like, oh, they should win that game. Not talking about just using Tennessee, for example. It's so Tennessee out there. Uh, they should win that game against Florida going through that, going through that. Yeah, they should win that game against South Carolina. Well, now we got more intel. We're in August. The season's in our face. You start to learn the game could be a little tougher than you think. We're, I'm hearing from talking to people. We're having some communications communication problems on offense. Man, they go to the swamp their first road game. What does that mean? They're not just going to go in there and just roll the balls out and go get on the bus, get the post game meal, and then get on the bus, then get on the plane and head back to Knoxville. It's not just going to be that easy. They may have to grind this win out. May have to be a Georgia at Missouri type thing last year, where they're down ten in the fourth quarter and come out and will themselves to win. You always look at schedules in January and April and in the spring. You're just like it always gets to me. I'd even do it when I was in it. You're just call oh, that's a win, that's a win. And then as you get closer, you get more intel after the spring and obviously through fall camp with your team after injuries, seeing the depth, seeing the new guys, the new additions from the portal. You start to look at games a little different. So I wanted to go over um, games that concern me most. One game for each team that concerns me more now than it did back in January and April. So I'm gonna do it alphabetical order, starting with Alabama and the A's and ending with Vanderbilt in the Vs. These aren't sleeper-type games. These are just games as game, if I've gathered more intel throughout the summer and throughout the first three weeks of fall camp. These are games that probably concern me more than just the average fan, average media member, now that I have all the intel. So let's start off with Alabama, and you'll get it as we go through this exercise. I'm leading off with that Auburn. It's a game everybody's just assuming Alabama's going to win at Auburn on November 25th. It's late in the year. Alabama usually struggles at Jordan Harefoot against a decent Auburn team. I think Nick Saban, has he ever beaten a nine win, nine plus win more? An, an Auburn team that has won nine or more games in a season at Auburn? I, I don't know. I mean, the, when's the last time Alabama just had their way in Auburn? Like probably 2011, maybe. Maybe 2011. Oh, yeah. Gene Chizik, second to last year. I would say so. Yeah. But this year, I'm telling you, I think Auburn could, could start off a little slower than people think. Maybe not with wins, but it, it, it could get ugly. Not ugly. It, they could not look great early in the season. But I think by season's end, Hugh Freeze is going to have a simple system implemented. Peyton Thorne may start off a little slow, but by the season end, I think he's going to be a very solid quarterback. It's going to be a tough game for Alabama. 
Jordan Hare's going to be rocking. Um, I think this Alabama team, um, I think on offense, they aren't going to be able to come back as easily from bigger deficits. So they get down 14 to nothing. That changes the game plan of what they want to do. I think offensively, they're going to be a run first offense this year. I think it's going to be a tough game for Auburn. I see everybody kind of predicting win, a win for Alabama there. I don't necessarily believe that. It's going to be a game you're going to look at later in the year. We may be fast forward and it's, it gets dark early then in November. We're sitting there. It's, it's nighttime. We're starting the fourth quarter at Jared and Hare on November 25th. Um, I just had my first child a week before that. I'm going to be sitting there with him in my hands. We're watching the Iron Bowl. Alabama could be fighting for their lives like they did two weeks, two years ago with Bryce Young. They had to go win it in four overtimes. I, I could see that again. Wouldn't shock me. Auburn could be hitting on all cylinders at that point. We're a long way away from that game. Start counting injuries. I'm just telling you, that's a game that worries me if I'm a little bit. It should worry you if you're an Alabama fan. Moving to Arkansas. First Missouri, man. November 25th, we're going to stay on that exact date. Missouri's, I think Missouri's going to be good on both lines of scrimmage. I don't think this is just a game that people are, oh, Arkansas is easily going to get revenge on Missouri from last year. It's at home. They should easily win this game. No, I'm telling you, Missouri, if they can get the quarterback situ- situation figured out, they could win this. And, again, I've stated it all the time on the show. I'm not as high on Arkansas as some other people. So where is Arkansas at, especially in a portal era, if you start getting eliminated from any championship contingents, what do these kids start thinking? Missouri can figure out this quarterback situation. This is not an easy game. I think a lot of people are just checking this. Oh, it's at home. Arkansas will get revenge on that. I don't think it's that simple. From the intel I'm getting, this is a game could change my mind a little bit with how I feel about our, uh, this Missouri-Arkansas game on November 25th. So for Arkansas, it's the game versus Missouri. I don't necessarily think this is as an automatic win as people probably back in January or April would say. Auburn, we're talking about them again. I told you they may come out a little slow. Peyton Thorne may not be comfortable in Hugh Freeze's system in early September. So that's how I think their September 9th game going across country to Northern California, going to Berkeley, playing at Cal. Auburn should win this game. I don't think they're going to lose this game, but it's early, and this could be a game Auburn has to go in in the fourth quarter while they're still trying to figure out this quarterback situation. First true road trip across the country. Uh, like I said, first true road game with Hugh Freeze. This could be one of those ugly wins that you're like, man, Remember when Auburn almost lost a cow early in the year? And that has nothing to do with Justin Wilcox, that team, former office coordinator at Texas A&M, Jake Spavital, former Texas State coach. He's the OC now at Cal. Cal could be solid. Auburn should win this game, though. But I, it may not look that pretty. Again, early in the year, new quarterback, new head coach, a lot of new players that you brought in from the transport, a lot of new offensive linemen that need reps together, some cohesion. It's a long trip to go out there for your head for Hugh Freeze's first road game, Auburn's going to win that game. It's going to be ugly. So I think Auburn, the one that I could see maybe not being, being being a little bit more of a difficult game now that it's a couple weeks actually away from this game, I could see this being an ugly game that Auburn pulls out at the, pulls out at the very the very end there. Uh, moving to Florida. I know they lost to him last year, but I think it's going to be the October 7th matchup against Vanderbilt. Uh, Florida isn't favored in many games, so it's tough to kind of come up with one of these. But this Vanderbilt game in week six for the Gators, uh, it's two weeks for a bye week. What are they going to look like injury-wise? With a lot of freshmen playing early, this team could be hitting a wall right before the bye week. It's kind of the only game on the schedule I saw because, again, a lot of people are picking Florida to go be a 5-7, and 6-6 seven, six and six team, my, myself included. We'll find out on Thursday officially. But, again, this Vanderbilt October 7th game was the one I was like, eh, this fit what I was talking about, feel a little differently now in August. This could be a game for Florida, depending just where it is on the schedule. They're, they've would have played a lot of games. This is week six for them. Maybe they've mounted up a lot of injuries. Graham Mertz just isn't getting it done. 
lost four starters on the offensive line. There's no cohesiveness. Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne have nowhere to go. They're frustrated. They're just overlooking Vanderbilt, just trying to get in that bye week. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm not going to predict it's going to happen. This is kind of similar to that cow game. This could be the cow game for Auburn. This could be an ugly win that they have to grind out in the fourth quarter is kind of what I'm feeling with this. Florida should be somewhat motivated to go get revenge against that loss against Vanderbilt last year. But, again, where it's at on the schedule. Again, I think a lot of this is where it's at on the schedule, where it is at the beginning where it is on the, at the beginning of the season, where a lot of teams breaking in, new positions, new quarterback, offensive line units, like I mentioned with Florida and Auburn, similar situations. Not a game I think Florida's probably going to lose, especially at home, but it's a game it could be an ugly fourth-quarter win they got to pull out. Georgia, we all talk about how easy the schedule is. I think it's going to be this October 7th meeting against Kentucky at home. This game's always a weird one. It's always a game that feels like Georgia just kind of survives, I guess you would say is probably the best way to explain it. Just a game you feel like Georgia just kind of survives year to year. Um uh, for whatever reason, they just never really go in and just hammer Mark Stoops in Kentucky. This game's at home. Uh, this could be a weird from for, for Georgia. I don't think they'll lose this. Again, I, I really actually feel pretty good about Georgia across the board, except potentially the Tennessee game and depending who they play in the SEC championship game. Again, I'm not going to say Georgia's going to lose this game to Kentucky, but, again, it could be one of those games. They start off slow. Kentucky's playing pretty well. I think Devin Leary's going to be pretty good. I think wide receiver unit, those top three wide receivers between Barry and Brown, Dan Key, Tavian Robinson are going to be good players. It's going to be a game that Georgia again pulls it out in the fourth quarter. As we get closer, it's like, huh, it's going to be a game at some point. You, I think everybody kind of feels that as we're getting closer. Like, again, everybody looks at the schedule right after Georgia going for the throw. Can they go for the three-peat the, right, the, day, the day after the TCU game in January? You're looking at the schedule, oh, they'll beat Kentucky because they usually do. But there's always a game every year Georgia struggles. They'll win, just like the Missouri game last year, but they're down 10 with eight minutes left. Got to squeak it out. Is this the game this year? We don't know. Uh, heading to Lexington, Kentucky. I think it's going to be that November 4th matchup against Mississippi State on the road. End of the year, sandwiched between the big Tennessee game that I think Kentucky has a real shot of winning at home this year. And then the very next week, they get Alabama coming at home. It's late in the year. What's Kentucky going to look like injury-wise, especially on the front against uh, – especially the big blue wall up front with their offensive line. They have a lot of injuries. What's that look like? I think that trip to Mississippi State could be a big trap game. It really is because they're going to be fired up to try to get that Tennessee win, especially after Tennessee embarrassing them last year in Knoxville. It's at Kroger Field. They could get that winning against Tennessee this year. Say they win that. They're going to be looking past Mississippi State, I think, that next week. I mean, if they beat Tennessee, they're probably really, as a real shot, they beat Mississippi State, win two out of these three of Tennessee at Mississippi State, Alabama, to finish second in the East. So just kind of a game I could see Kentucky potentially dropping instead of being nine and three, them dropping this game to potentially being eight and four. I just could see this game screams exactly what I'm talking about. You go through the schedule, you're like, ah, they'll probably win that. But, but nah, you look at the schedule, that, that could be a tougher game. That November 4th matchup in Starkville at Mississippi State. If you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan, better be looking out. Uh, LSU, again, call me crazy with the team, but I tell you, I think it's going to be an early season matchup September 16th. Again, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Zach Arnett for sure, at Mississippi State. First crew road game for LSU. Again, they open the season in Orlando at Camping World Stadium against Florida State. Not a true road game. I just think this year, call me crazy, LSU is going to drop one you're not expecting. I think they're going to lose one of these road games in the state of Mississippi this year. They go at Mississippi State and they go at Ole Miss. I think it's going to be at Mississippi State. I said it early in the spring. I could see them losing this game. I could see them losing this game. 
Um, I, this worries me a little bit. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. I know people in Baton Rouge are like, this guy's an idiot. He's got a solution to Mississippi State, potentially. I'm telling you, crazy things happen in college football that none of us expect when we're predicting games in January and April. That's why I wanted to do this exercise. I'm telling you, I get a weird feeling. Big game for Mississippi State. They could be undefeated going to this game. They should be undefeated going to this game. Zach Arnett's first big game. The atmosphere is going to be electric. Davis Wade Stadium, one of the most underrated stadiums from a noise standpoint because of the cowbells. I'm telling you, this could be another fourth quarter grinded out game. And I'm not opposed, I'm not even putting this game in the same category as the Cal, Auburn, um, Georgia, Kentucky. Florida Vanderbilt series. This is a legit game. I think Miss LSU could lose. It's a legit game. I think those other three teams, like I mentioned, Georgia, Florida, and Auburn, just win ugly in those pitches. This is kind of the first one where I could see a legit loss here. So I'm going to LSU. I'm just telling you, I'm going to get crap. I'm going to get a lot of crap about this one, but it's a game I'd be keeping keep an eye on. Uh, heading to Oxford, Ole Miss. I think it's going to be the September 16th matchup against Georgia Tech. Everyone's talking about the potential showdown against Tulane. Lane Kiffin, those guys are going to be ready for that because everybody's talking they're going to go lose to Tulane with Michael Pratt. Uh, just because Michael Pratt's back, they beat USC in the Cotton Bowl, but they lost a ton of dudes in, on the defense. I think Ole Miss is easily going to win that game. Um, this game sandwiched between that Tulane game, I think they're going to be jacked about to go on the road to New Orleans and win. Georgia Tech comes to town. First Year head coach Brent Key he was the intern last year. They finished strong. And they go to Alabama the next week. If they beat Tulane, they'll be undefeated. They're going to be looking towards that Alabama game that next week, going to Tuscaloosa. Lane Kiffin wants to beat Nick Saban at least once before Nick Saban retires so bad. It's not even funny. I mean, last year, I don't think Lane Kiffin could even get out of his office to go meet with prospects from what I heard last year after they lost Alabama in a game they probably should have won. He wants it bad. He wants to go beat Alabama bad. I'm telling you, they go look good against Tulane, which I think they will. They're going to go light up Tulane's defense in New Orleans. They're going to be looking. It's going to be talked about for two weeks. Oh, Alabama, Ole Miss again in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Is this the year Lane Kiffin gets it done? Because I think Jackson Dart has taken that next step. Watch out for this Georgia Tech game. Watch out for this Georgia Tech game on September 16th. Total trap game here. I'm going to say this one is a sleeper trap game. Watch out. Well, I mean, we'll know what we got with Georgia Tech. I don't think they're going to be awesome. They get six wins here. They'd be awesome. You'll know what you get with Georgia Tech because that Friday night of week one, they play Louisville at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You will know exactly what you're getting. You are you are going to know exactly what you're getting uh, from Georgia Tech after week one. So this could be a total trap game for Ole Miss here. I think this is a game that's not really circled enough on people's schedules of, their, of theirs. That could be very interesting. Could be another really close game down the fourth quarter if they're looking ahead to that Alabama game. Uh, Mississippi State. I think it's the Arizona game on September 9th. Um, early uh, early game. Offense is still going to be adjusting with new um, offensive coordinator Kevin Barbe. I think Arizona is going to be able to score some points with Jed Fish in them. This is a game Mississippi State is not going to be looking forward to down the road. Again, this is a game they need to be focused on. They went and won last year there. But, again, this is a new Arizona team. I think Arizona is probably going to be bowl eligible this year. I think you're going to look back. I think Mississippi State's going to win this game. This is a game I think could be a little tougher than people are automatically assuming. You talk to Mississippi State fans, you feel like they all kind of put a W next to it on their schedule poster. Not necessarily an automatic win. I think this is on Mississippi State's schedule. But you know, Mississippi State's not going to be favored in a lot of games. So I think this is the one they need to really lock in, hone in on. September 9th matchup against Arizona. Uh, Missouri. I think it's the Vanderbilt matchup September 30th. 
This is a maturity game for Missouri. Again, I think they can figure out the quarterback situation. Eight wins is real. It's a maturity game. Could be 4-0 after a big win against Kansas State. I think Missouri's going to beat Kansas State at home. I think they're going to get revenge from getting embarrassed last year in that rain delay game in Manhattan. Uh, with LSU coming to town the next week, Missouri could be undefeated. Vanderbilt, they go to Nashville, the September 30th matchup against Vanderbilt, and then LSU comes to town the next week with potentially Missouri being undefeated if they can take care of business against Kansas State, Memphis, and then the Vanderbilt game, and then LSU down the road. And watch out. This is a game, if you're not mature enough, this could be Vanderbilt's big win of the season. This could be it. They're going to get it a conference win again like they did last year. I mean, they got two last year. This is one of those games, I'm telling you, if Missouri's not a mature team, and they're looking ahead to that LSU matchup, could be a potential showdowns of undefeated. Vanderbilt can get them. Vanderbilt could get it. This is probably my most confident one that I could totally see happen for sure. The September 30th matchup against Vanderbilt for Missouri. Uh, moving to South Carolina. I'm going to go to the Mississippi State September 23rd matchup at home. I think Mississippi State's going to be better than people think. Um, South Carolina, again, they're a couple injuries away. If they go get beat up against North Carolina early, would not shock me if Mississippi State goes in there and wins that football game. I'm telling you, this is a dangerous game for South Carolina. No one's really talking about. And I wouldn't say everybody's counting this as an automatic win, but this is a dangerous game because it's one of their first five games between them playing North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and I think Furman, the first five. Um, they need this game. This is a game they don't need to be sleeping on looking forward to Tennessee. This is not one of those – and this is the week after Georgia, if I remember right. This is the week after Georgia. Let's look it up real fast. It's one of those – Georgia's getting to that point now a little bit. But they're kind of like Alabama, like, oh, gosh, what was team's records the week after they played Alabama? Because Alabama would beat them up so bad just from a physical perspective. Yeah, very next week. Georgia, Mississippi State at home, and at Tennessee, sandwiched right in between that. Similar to the Kentucky games between Tennessee, Mississippi State, and uh, Alabama coming to town. Very similar. Very, Kentucky and South Carolina are very similar in those manners of this – Mississippi State – both Mississippi State twice for Kentucky and South Carolina. They're going to get one of those guys. I guarantee you South Carolina needs to watch out. They do not need to go lose this game because I do not think they beat Georgia and Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, I think I mentioned it earlier. I probably spoiled it for you. I think at Florida, the September 16, 2023 matchup in the Swamp. It's early in the season. Talk about communication. Uh, first real road game again. They open up the season in Nashville against Virginia at Nissan Stadium. That's going to be a home game for Tennessee. But at Florida, I think they're going to win that game, but again, it's not going to be roll the balls out, guys. All right, all right, what do we want for post-game meal here? Chick-fil-A, all right, let's go get on the planes. We're back to Rocky Top. No, this could be a game. It could be an all-out war. It's the SEC. If Florida were to go to beat Utah, that place, the swamp, will be rocking. If he's like, Even if they lose to Utah, it's the first conference game. Florida knows they're going to make a wounded animal backed into a corner. They know they're going to need this win. Watch out. This game isn't as like, comfortable as I feel Uh as I, as I felt back in January and April, like I keep mentioning. But Tennessee is a veteran squad. Again, kind of a maturity game like I alluded to with Missouri earlier with their Vanderbilt game. This isn't as – the two games that I think about when I think about – we got Texas A&M and Vandy, and we're done with this. Um, we're done with this segment. But it's really that Missouri-Vanderbilt game and Tennessee and Florida games are the epitome. You probably throw in Auburn, too, for Alabama. But the epitome of this exercise. I mean, like I said, like Auburn's a sneaky game for Alabama. Um, I think Vanderbilt, just where it sets up on the schedule with LSU being there the next week, it's a sneaky game for Missouri. And then I think at Florida, 
uh, for Tennessee is going to not be as easy as people think because I think you're going to have a wounded animal backed into a wall with nothing to lose. And that's scary if you're Tennessee. But the good thing with Tennessee is they have 32 seniors. That should be uh, that should be a mature team. It should be able to handle it. But as it gets closer, could be a concern. Texas A&M every year it's always said that September 30th matchup against Arkansas. Um, the nitpicky injuries they can add up for the Ags. And this game again sandwiched between Auburn at home. Texas A&M's first SEC matchup, and at Alabama, this game is always close. It's always close, always close down to the wire. Somehow A&M usually gets it. This is a game they need. It's a game they don't need to be looking ahead to. They don't need to be looking ahead to. Uh, Arkansas is due to get another one. They won two years ago, got Sam Pittman that first win in that series since Arkansas joined the SEC. But, again, it's one of those games. A&M needs to be really careful. You'd be really careful. And then finally, Vanderbilt, you know, they're not favored in a lot of games. So the other one I'd pick would be that September 9th matchup against Wake Forest. Uh, they need that. They don't need to be looking ahead because I think they could be, they're going to be undefeated going into that matchup. But Clark Lee and them need to get that win. Can't be looking ahead to any SEC matchup. I think against Kentucky the next week, they need to be focused on getting that non conference win against Wake Forest. But again, I hope you enjoyed this segment. Um, just kind of like, again, we all are more information we can make better opinions uh, and judgments. But again, back in January, April, you, you're adding to your roster. You don't know what all these guys are going to look at. You're counting wins just because it's kind of simple to do. But now with the season right in our face, you're like, huh, Tennessee going to Florida. With a, Florida probably being like a wounded animal needing that win. That could be a lot tougher. Alabama late in the year when Hugh Freeze really has it rolling with that team and they're really entrenched in his system. Peyton Thorns played 11 games. It's going to be a lot tougher game at Jordan-Hare and Auburn. Um, and then Missouri. It's a sign of a mature team. I mean, Vanderbilt, the week before a potential undefeated showdown against LSU, how mature are you? Are you going to get it done? So just some uh, interesting thoughts there. Uh, and, that, and that's going to be it for today's episode. I appreciate you joining us. We talked um, personnel symposium, great events from the best minds in college football were there. A lot of good information, a lot of camp intel, especially from the SEC East, Alabama, Auburn quarterback situations. Again, Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia, it's almost like, copy blueprints of what Hugh Freeze, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban said after their scrimmages in their post see in their post uh press conference in their press conference after the scrimmage. We talked to AP poll a little bit. Uh and then we talked about some games that I don't feel as good about as I did in January and April that could be a little scarier for some teams now that we have a lot of information uh three weeks into fall camp. But remember Thursday, big episode prediction episode. That's all we're talking about. Uh we should have Chris Phillips also joining us from South Carolina. Uh, give him uh, the floor to talk a little bit of South Carolina fall camp, what he's thinking. But again, big S big SEC predictions, SEC West winner. I'm going to give you my uh, schedule predictions for every team in the league. Uh, talk who's going to win the SEC. And then finally, the playoff prediction. But again, I hope you enjoyed us for this episode of Mock 10 Sports. Have a great week. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.